0: Hello and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where staffing referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get Staffing Referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Staffing Show. Um, I'm here today with Vin Souza and Caitlin Rhodes from Bullhorn. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Vinda is the VP of
2: Global Communications at Bullhorn, and Caitlin, can you talk a little bit about your role? Yeah, certainly. So I am on the talent acquisition team, but also in my time at Bullhorn, I've been very deeply involved in our employee resource groups and contributing to our culture of inclusion here. In addition to that, more recently, I've worked with the leadership team on our DEI efforts within the organization. Perfect, and that
1: is a lot of what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Um, so about two months ago, our popis, uh, your CEO, put out a statement, um, and I wanted to read it here to sort of um, start things off. Um, so this is from Art, and from the Bullhorn statement. We want to make it clear where Bullhorn stands. We stand for equality. We stand for justice. We stand with the Black community. We stand against hate. We stand against racism in any form. Our employee vision is every employee has a sense of belonging, a voice that is heard, and a clear path for success. We are human and we will struggle in many areas. But this vision is critical more than ever, now more than ever. And we will do everything we can to uphold it. So this statement really stood out for me um, I, in my personal Social media feeds, my, uh, all my feeds were sort of covered with statements similar to this, or at least people, um, feeling really supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement and, or going through a lot of introspection in the wake of all that happened a couple of months ago. Um, but my LinkedIn feed, um, was filled with staffing professionals was, um, pretty silent. And, and this statement was one of the few that I saw. Um and I, I wanted to talk to you guys because you've taken the lead in sort of opening these kind of conversations both with that statement and with some of the research that you've done into diversity and inclusion in the staffing industry. So I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about how you guys
3: came to put this statement out. Sure. So the desire for that statement was absolutely driven by art himself. He's very passionate about representation. And diversity, equity, and inclusion, and he holds those principles close to his heart, as do the you know the entire leadership team of Bullhorn. Um, and so, when it became evident that there was just such tremendous and pervasive sadness and and despair amongst a large, the I would say the vast majority of people in this country, um, then Art realized that you know. We had to take a stand. We had to make a statement and show solidarity for Black Lives Matter and for just anybody who was feeling marginalized and oppressed. And in addition to that, when he first approached, um, you know, Gordon and and myself about the statements, he was first and foremost thinking about Bullhorn employees. He wanted to make sure that they felt safe and that they felt heard. And that he was speaking to them as part of the Bullhorn family. And then we realized that the statement had applications and ramifications that went beyond just our own family into the broader community of customers, partners, prospects, stakeholders, everybody who exists in the the staffing industry, essentially, would benefit from seeing the fact that we were committed and and we wanted to take a public stand. And that's why we issued it. But it was initially sent internally to Bullhorn employees to reiterate the fact that Art and the leadership team is deeply committed to ensuring that we have that employee vision come to life. A clear path to success, a voice that is heard, a sense of belonging for everybody who works for Bullhorn and everybody that we deal with outside of Bullhorn.
1: And that sort of folds into my next question, um, because it seems like you're really opening um, opening Bullhorn up with this statement, too, and sort of offering, um, I don't know, kind of a community of inclusion by setting this example um, for other people in the staffing industry. And I know you guys are doing a lot of work around diversity and in- inclusion that is both internal and is opening those doors up for other people. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what initiatives you're developing to help the staffing industry educate themselves and become more aware around
2: issues of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important part of these efforts moving forward has been surrounding education, Um, similar to the stance on this statement, putting that message out there and making it more... Normalized to bring this to awareness has been a really important part. So, increasing internal educational opportunities, um, we are going to be launching a lecture series to engage with our partners as well and have these discussions in on a larger scale.
1: And are you are you able to talk um, a little bit more about what that will look like, or is it still in the in the forming stages?
3: um for the lecture series specifically sure mm-hmm. so yeah that's actually that is that is beyond formative that's <laughs> that that's definitely happening so um, starting in <laughs> early September September ninth um, we will have the first of three series as part of a uh, um, under the recruitment innovation exchange which is um, a, an industry leading site for thought leadership and staffing sort of the future issues um sponsored by Bullhorn and, and several of its esteemed partners uh, who are all very concerned and committed to advancing discussion around these issues. And you know we were excited about the speaker that we have selected. It's not completely finalized yet, but it will be very, very shortly. Um, and we'll be able to tackle first and foremost the topic of uh, making the organizational case for diversity. the, the following lecture in October, will focus on um, sort of the, the the business implementations of Dei initiatives and then finally the third session will be a panel that focuses on practical ways to implement dei in staffing companies specifically
1: mm-hmm. um, my next question maybe ties all three of those strands together but in a more general way, but so, uh, Vinda, in, when Bullhorn released the Grant analysis on diversity and inclusion, you sort of acknowledged, or you very specifically and in uh, authentically acknowledged how difficult these conversations can be. Um, and, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit out here, um, before I ask my question, but because I think it's a good framework for thinking about these things, um, so you said, uh, I want to preface my analysis by saying that race and gender dynamics are hard. These conversations are tough. These There are issues of economic and represent, representative privilege that vary by region and role. And even the most well-meaning people can be influenced by implicit bias. Full disclosure, even my own teammates, truly the kindest, smartest, and wokest hum- humans I know didn't share my view of what the most surprising and important finding was from our GNI data set. That just goes to show you that this is hellishly nebulous work. And I, I think that that is so true. Um, and I think that, um, part of the silence that I, that I'm seeing from a lot of the staffing industry is because this is so hard. Um, and, uh, or, there's this idea that it it maybe is even impossible. Uh, So I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit, given how tricky these conversations sometimes are, what would you say to those listeners out there who don't really see what the big deal is or why you're going to such lengths to sort of address these issues?
3: Uh, Yeah, sure, I will caveat. I'll start by saying that I wrote that paragraph on on our DEI analysis for GRID back in December, because we, we first released this year's grid research in January, as we always do. Uh, so this was long before um, the unrest and, mm-hmm. and uh, protests and, and uprisings that we've seen in response to the injustices of the past several months, or one could say really of the past several hundred years, but coming to a head in the past several months. So that's, uh, that just goes to show that this was never really not a thing. Just a lot of people weren't paying attention to it. So hmm, that's, that's food for thought. But as far as, you know, when we're dealing with how do, you, how do you address the issue and why are staffing agencies not necessarily addressing the issue, first I'll, I'll push back a little bit and say that a lot of them are. Um, they're just doing it in maybe more subtle ways. And staffing is an industry that has traditionally been so misunderstood by other industries. It doesn't have the same horizontal application as technology or marketing or anything of that sort, where you can get the national headlines. People don't understand staffing. Staffing is like skiing. You know, you can get on skis, but to become a master really takes a tremendous amount of time. And so they don't outsiders don't always understand the terminology like they don't even know how to kind of look at that box and as a result some of what the staffing industry is already doing may not be as visible as it should be i know for instance asa i'm on the um the diversity equity inclusion task force there um is very committed to this and they're they're taking bold steps i mean there there are plenty of of staffing industry associations and agencies that are very, you know, concerned about this. I know on the turf yeah. side, Korn Ferry did a lecture series that was, that was brilliant. So and there's plenty of examples of people really putting a line in the sand, but as far as why maybe it's not universal, I think it's important to consider that staffing agencies have two sets of stakeholders. They have their candidates and they have their clients. It's a really tough position to be in when you're trying to please multiple masters at once. And sometimes, you need to be very thoughtful in how you're going to do that right in a way that's productive, and that's easier mm-hmm. than done and Caitlin can of course speak to what it feels like to actually be a recruiter having to deal with this on a daily
2: basis. yeah, I think to echo that comment um, you you spoke about the statement that Art made initially and um, Art internally has sent video updates to the team as we're going through a number of crises internally. And I responded to one of them um, because it is a, such a challenging thing to talk about and to address, especially for leaders. Um, I said, I'm under the, the belief and I subscribe to the idea that you don't necessarily have to say the right thing, especially the first time, but you should say something. Um, so I really, I appreciated that he took that approach you know, especially in alignment with our core values and our employee mission or our employee vision that everyone feels safe and heard within this organization.
1: Mm. Um, Sorry, there was a dog barking. Um, uh, That that leads me really nicely into my next question, um, which is, so with, The fact that there is a lot going on out there, um, maybe just not as, as publicly as in some other industries. Um, if there are staffing firms out there who are, um, maybe, uh, aware that there might be a problem or that they just, their staff isn't as diverse as they would like it to be, but they don't know where to begin, um, in terms of, um, Starting even starting to have conversations about these issues, um, and, and sort of still grappling with whether implicit bias or whether race has an impact on their candidates and their clients. Um, how how do you guys think they might sort of start to take a closer look at that at that impact?
3: Caitlin, go ahead.
2: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my initial thought is um, acknowledging the existence of these conversations is the first step and looking at, um, like Vinda referenced earlier, the grid research, the data shows that there are some gaps here and acknowledging that and taking even small baby steps toward closing those gaps is the first step.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great. uh, shifting gears a little bit to our um, second crisis, concurrent crisis, <laughs> um, you guys have also put out some um, substantive data on the effect of COVID-19 on the staffing industry. Um, can you uh, speak a little bit about um, what some of your most surprising findings were from that data? Um, or just the highlights,
3: even if you weren't surprised? Sure, I mean, everything's surprising right now. Um, (laughs) We're living in a state of perpetual surprise, unfortunately, (laughs) but we we were heartened to see that the majority of respondents that we surveyed in May and June are optimistic about economic indicators rebounding by the end of the year, at least domestically and internationally too, frankly. And we're already starting mm-hmm. to see that internationally um, quite significantly. Uh, and so that's, that's a great sign. Recruiters uh, are the canary in the coal mine because they, mm-hmm. they control the majority of the labor market. And therefore, when recruiting starts to see signs of trouble, you know that trouble is ahead for everybody. And when recruiting starts to see signs of recovery, usually that's really good news for the rest of society. So the Mm -hmm. fact that recruiters are optimistic about where we're heading is really great news, and that was refreshing to us, and we we enjoyed seeing that. It was great validation. Um, As far as their key priorities, really, it's around building client relationships, and the second big priority is nurturing candidate relationships, and those are both crucially important. We understand exactly why, and in a in a very sort of remote-heavy work environment right now which some companies have been forced to embrace um, and other companies don't have a luxury to embrace it's been interesting to see how the desire for solutions that help staffing agencies prioritize their first and and foremost currency which is relationships through Mm. the power of technology are becoming increasingly important so you know Mm. things like Automating candidates' experience management and engagement and and building those relationships can really help when it's hard to find enough headcount. And it's, I mean, both internally and externally, really. And people are distributed and they're not in an office together and they can't really collaborate in the same way that they're used to collaborating, right? It makes technology really stand out as the great equalizer when Mm -hmm. you can't be as integrated as you want to be from an interpersonal mm. standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't take away from the importance that relationships play in recruiting. It's really around mm. giving recruiters the ability to be more human and to make those judgment calls and to have that decision-making influencing power um, mm. by nature of eliminating some of the more mundane tasks off their plate. Right. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, we've been thinking a lot at Staffing Hub about uh, the increasingly remote recruiting world right now. Um, we're working on some data and just the, the initial findings have shown that uh, recruiters are, uh, the majority are feeling happier working remotely, feeling even more productive, feeling like they have a better work-life balance um which are some surprising I I I was surprised to see such a, such a strong vote in favor of remote work since it's such a big change. Um and I was wondering in your in what you've seen, uh how do you think this real push towards remote work will will change what staffing firms need from technology outside of because we for a long time we've needed We've needed to enable better relationships um, through technology choices and recruiting. So how do you think this is sort of going to change the
3: game around tech choices? So there's no room to sit on the sidelines anymore. If you were a late adopter of technology, that's not really a luxury or privilege you have any longer. Because we have been thrust into this new working world and we all have to adjust. And I am legitimately concerned for those who don't use cloud-based software. I, I don't know how they've been managing to, to function effectively and productively without being able to access their systems, right? And all their data and their talent pools and those, those currencies of relationships. Um, so I think that the need for, for the cloud is overwhelming right now. And then in addition to that, the, the desire for automation and not automation as an end game because that's just, a, that's just a buzzword, but really the idea of what automation facilitates, which is eliminating the manual processes that get in the way of human engagement, that get in the way of rapport building, that get in the way of creating trust with a candidate or with a client or with another stakeholder or with a fellow employee, right? That's been crucially important because we don't have our bold bag of tricks at our disposal anymore. We can't go out to lunch and, <laughs> and form a bond or a dynamic. Mm-hmm. We can't shake hands promptly ever again. I don't know that I'll ever shake hands with anybody again, uh, <laughs> even when this is all over. You know, we, we just we can't rely on and We can't even pick up the phone as easily as we used to. I mean, I, right. I sometimes don't know what number to call because I'd be calling somebody's house. Um, right. right. It's, such very, a point. it's a very confusing new way of working. And really the only thing that, that we can rely on is when we know that there's a, sy- a single system that various groups are working out of. And so Caitlin, for instance, is a great example. She's in St. Louis. I'm in Boston, you know, but we, we both use Bullhorn and we both have access to the same data. So I know that regardless of the fact that she's a, you know, in a slightly different time zone or, it has a different set of meetings and in a totally different atmosphere than I am. We are still operating off a single version of the truth. That's mm. making it to come to grips with this remote working environment, which is why I think you see so many companies saying, yeah, remote work is actually more productive. When they have a good infrastructure in place, remote work can be very productive if you're not, mm. you know, if you're not an essential worker, if you're not on the front line, if you're not in healthcare or working in a grocery store or as a delivery driver, yes. Remote work can be really great and kind of semi-permanent, to be honest. Right, but you know there are drawbacks to that too, and I know Caitlin can speak to sort of the um, the issues with with placing talents in this type of environment. I mean, it's certainly it cannot be easy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm nodding aggressively to what you're saying. I think being in an organization that has such access to all of these technical tools and resources, I've felt um, some of those positive impacts that you mentioned, Caitlin. Um, I also think that it provides us more access to each other and to candidates. Going back to the, the forefront of the conversation on my mind, which is diversity, um, the two things I'm always thinking about is accessing candidates and accessing underrepresented candidates. And virtually, I can reach out to anyone, nearly any time, and I can meet with them face to face. By video, so I'm finding it really empower, empowering and powerful. There are challenges with like the training and onboarding, um, but fortunately, Bullhorn has tools for that, so <laughs> we can overcome that.
1: Yeah, that's I. I've been thinking a lot about how how remote rec- recruiting has also feels like a big game changer in terms of just that that really with so much of the workforce being remote positions are freed up from the geographic strictures. Um, and there's really, I like the the pools are more diverse. The it, like, it really changes the game. How are you as a recruiter sort of adapting to the, the, fact that really it's the whole world now that you can be recruiting from in a a lot of ways, I think.
2: Yeah, that's such a great point. I think about, um, we really started heavily recruiting for technical support remotely about a year and a half ago, pretty much predominantly remotely. And I went from looking at the St. Louis market and having a handful of qualified candidates to literally receiving thousands of applications. Um, so that presents a challenge. Um, but we, we're now at this point where we can really evaluate candidates with various backgrounds and, um, various experience, uh, underrepresented candidates, candidates who have formal education and candidates who have, like, um, academy education or tech school education, um, it's widened the, the candidate pool and the funnel so much. And it's incredible in terms of our efforts toward having a more inclusive and diverse employee population.
1: Mm. Um, and how how is it sort of, how have you guys in Bullhorn, like as a company, how has it been for you to adapt to this? Were you guys always remote or Sort of like how have the past few months impacted the way that you
3: guys work?
2: I think it was a relatively seamless transition for most of us. Um, a lot of us were working in offices, I was, Vinda was, but Occasionally, we'd work, we'd work from home um, maybe once or twice a week on a regular basis or on a day when you're having a refrigerator delivered, you'd have the opportunity to work from home. So it, it was really a simple transition. And we have so many communication tools and we have Zoom and Slack and all of these, op- these ways that we can communicate with people relatively instantly. So it's very similar to being in the office. The issue, I think, to Caitlin's
3: point, has, has not been technological
2: you we were always set up for success mm-hmm.
3: there because we're a technology company. And we've got great technology, um, mm-hmm. signs for remote work and for cloud-based work and for a geographically distributed workforce. The issue has been emotional, mm-hmm. and so it's not the it's not remote work that we're dissecting really. It's remote work and a global pandemic that's terrifying. So, right. how do you deal with working parents who now don't have childcare access? How do you deal with people who feel very isolated because they live alone in a studio apartment? Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. deal with people who are worried about loved ones who are sick? Right.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot
3: more things to manage now that every company is going through. At least we got part of it done really easily, which was. The right. But the other mm-hmm. critical issues, no one can solve.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just. I mean, I think having conversations about it is a huge way that I've, uh, it, it's not a solution at all, but just like continually pointing to the fact that there is a constant, um maybe low grade, maybe high grade drain on human resources, like on human ability to mine their own resources for work because of these emotional taxes. You know, I kind of think of it as like, um, like a, a way down CPU or something, like just dealing with the low grade emotional stress or very high grade <laughs> emotional stress of this time, I think impacts the way we can work and that companies who are aware of that and flexible to that, I think will um, at least have a much happier workforce, but I suspect fare better in the long run if there's some... Um, Agile sense of how you need to run your teams right now, given that everyone is under an in, like a like a sort of a measurable amount of emotional stress and uncertainty. You know? right? That's not really a question, but just <laughs> something that I'm interested in. You know, you are, are nodding in agreement. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, and I'm wondering—it's sort of hard to piece this out—but what what are you focused on at Bullhorn? Sort of looking towards the future, knowing what you do from um, the data that you've put out and from your
3: customers. Sort
1: of what's on the horizon for Bullhorn right now?
3: Well, I mean, from a from a product and solution horizon, there's there's numerous things. I mean, we announced our Unifor- unified workforce management vision, which is and strategy, which is tremendously exciting. I think that will be ultimately transformative for the market in terms of really, you know, helping with, you know, high volume temp and healthcare agencies um, really just to manage these processes at scale effectively and and help them on their journey to digital transformation and really future-proofing their business against any number of threats, taking advantage of opportunities. It's the great equalizer and leveling the playing field through technology, essentially, then allowing a company to succeed based on its relationships and its talents, right? Um, without the burden of, of bad technology. But mm-hmm. from an internal standpoint, I'm, I'm more excited about that. And that's the stuff that Caitlin's really taking the lead on. Our DEI internal initiatives that are, I think, incredibly exciting for the future of Bullhard. I'd, I'd love to to kind of shed some light on that.
2: Yeah, I think moving forward, um, I, I'm evaluating the work that we're doing in kind of a series of buckets. Yeah. One is the education piece that I referenced earlier, which we've put a lot of time and effort into already. Then there's um, creating an inclusive environment because we can bring in underrepresented people, but how do we retain them, Um, which pivots into my next two, hiring and retention. So we're putting a lot of um, investment and accountability and analyzing the data in terms of hiring and retention in our employee resource groups. And um, I'm really excited about that moving forward. That's great.
1: Um, Thank you guys so much for talking to me today. This was really illuminating.
2: I really appreciate it thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.